Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg and you are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. Now, I know it has been a while. The holidays snuck up on us there. I had some time off earlier this month that I never want to publicly announce again because every time I do, something major happens and I don't want to jinx us with a million breaking news items. But then, you know, the NWL seems determined to keep it going on that front anyway. But we are back. We are back for 2022. I think we will be back on a normal, regular schedule as of right now. Steph Young is back again as we catch up over some major stories across the league from collective bargaining negotiations, potentially sending us into a work stoppage to the Washington spirit, because of course, the Washington spirit, to updates in Portland and North Carolina. There is more than enough to discuss, and it feels like we barely scratched the surface. Now, before we get to the rest of today's episode, as always, to show your support full-time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and app, you can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. It is always one of our best deals at that URL. All right, this is going to be a fairly news-heavy episode uh, so I don't want to dig in too far on the news this week, at least, but I will have links to some of our coverage at The Athletic, plus links to the relevant statements, etc., that we are going to discuss in the show. They will be in the show notes of today's episode, so you can reference them if you have not seen them. All right, we are back for 2022. Let's get right to it. Hi, Steph. It's 2022. We haven't done a podcast in a while, like literally... Remember how the joke was everything just kept happening? That's the same vibe already this year. There's been no delineation of like time changeover from 21 to 22. It's just one unending stream of happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, okay, let's let's start with some nice things. What did you do over the holidays? As if I don't know this, but, you know, for the sake of conversation. I saw my mommy... I did a lot of uh, heavy lifting around. Literally, she made me move a piano. <laughs> I had to move a piano in my mother's house and hang a bunch of large pictures. You know how when you're older and you like have an actual home, you can buy large framed mm-hmm. pictures and it's not just a, like an 11 by 8 poster that you tack up on your wall? Yep. She made me like professionally hang those as well. She's like the, the kind of thing where you have to do a lot of measuring and you mark it out and... You get out the stud finder and you have to anchor these things to the wall. And then she's like, mm, a little bit, oh, is it centered? Oh, it's not quite. Oh, I have to tie the space together if it's too, blah, blah, blah. So, but that was, it was nice to spend some time together. <laughs> and then I guess I bought a house with my wife, but. Yeah, you did. Eh. This is just a small, 
small thing a small that detail has happened over, I gave yeah. all the money I ever earned and saved to a bank. Yeah. I can't imagine that. It's terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then soccer things kept happening. I was with my wife for the holidays for a while, went skiing a little bit, it was mostly like super, super cold, and um, my dog was deeply, deeply unhappy, and yeah, here we are, trying to pretend like <laughs> we're we're ready for another season of this. <laughs> Whenever someone's like, oh, yeah, preseason is actually not that far away. I'm like, shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up. Stop talking about preseason. <laughs> <laughs> Let's actually start there because obviously there is kind of some key news that is hanging over us and has has been kind of the big potential wrench in what we're expecting for 2022. And that is, you know, last year was funny. I feel like I wrote a whole bunch of pieces that is like 2021 is the year of the CBA, right? We've got the US women's national team and then the sell both in bargaining. And then now it's 2022 and we still don't have a CBA for either. But that is, I mean, there's been a lot of big stories happening, but this is now kind of the one that is bearing down on us because according to a whole bunch of people, players are really looking for the CBA to happen and do not actually plan on reporting to preseason if a CBA has not happened. We're recording this on Tuesday, January 25th. So the the amount of time for this to happen just keeps getting smaller and smaller and we're not getting updates. Thoughts. <laughs> um, when I saw that the Players Association had, um, they... They sent out a link for a new fund that they were like, this is to help players with all kinds of things. They didn't say strike fund, but when I saw that, I immediately thought, oh, but it could be a strike fund if they needed it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously it is kind of just since that was actually the last episode of this podcast before we shut down for the holiday, like, you know, it's intended for a certain thing, but I guess this is kind of the big question of if players are forced into a strike or a work stoppage of some kind, right? Do they have the ability to hold out until a CBA happens? Uh, you know, would it would it be a matter of only like a day or two? Or again, what I think is so interesting is that, you know, the players were pretty clear on when they thought Challenge Cup should be, which was the middle of the season, it continues to be an, a, a preseason tournament, which I don't think means it's super important <laughs> to some <laughs> of the players. And so there is kind of this wiggle room now of we've got this long preseason, February 1st, we've got Challenge Cup, like the stuff that we don't really care about is all up front here. And if we have to eat into this time, then we eat into this time. But the question is, can they afford to do that? Yeah, literally. I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is part of why I saw, we saw the end of the PA. They were forming a lot of good, like, union-to-union union bonds. Um, haven't they, uh, there's something with the AFL-CIO where they're officially. They're an affiliate. Yeah, they're yep. affiliate. Um, and that's such an important aspect of surviving a work stoppage is union-to-union union solidarity. Just in my, I think, in, in historical experience. Um so I, I don't know, maybe that's, it, it was also just good community building. So I don't, I'm not saying that there, this was like some kind of long play for them <laughs> where they were putting all the elements into place and then 
like a freaking episode of Battlestar Galactica. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Who is a Cylon? Paulson is yeah. a Cylon, you know. But um, I, I do think they have some of the building blocks in place, and obviously Megan Burke is experienced as a like with labor organization and that sort of thing. So I think if they, if it comes down to it, I certainly hope it doesn't because it's not to the player's benefit, which should be. Which is always a big clue, right? Whenever laborers ask for a work stoppage or a strike, that should be your clue. Like, they want to work. They want to play. They want to earn money. So yeah. I certainly hope it something happens positively by the time the season starts. Yeah, I mean, the sense that I have from folks I've talked to, I know Claire has also substantiated a lot of this through her latest at Just Women's Sports, too, um, there are kind of, it, it sounds like only a few, I don't want to say small issues cause I don't think they're small issues, but like there are smaller details on bigger issues that are still remaining. And one of the big things I had heard was just in terms of like, when is free agency going to start? <laughs> right? Like, I think that there is, and it's not even like, it's not true unrestricted free agency, right? Like this is going to be kind of this very big compromise on free agency on both sides, but you know, does it start kind of right off the bat? Do you get a year's grace period? Do you get two years grace period? And I think players are going to want it to happen sooner. The teams are going to want it to happen later. There are obvious reasons for both of those things. Um, group NIL, uh, name and in- image licensing is another thing that's kind of on the table. And then I think the other big question is how long is a CBA, assuming it gets agreed to, is going to last? This is not from my understanding, tied to any television contract, right? Those typically drive CBAs in other leagues because there's a lot of big TV money on the plate that the players want a, a piece of. Um, but, you know, how long players are going to want this agreement to be shorter and teams are going to want it to be longer. And where is that middle ground? Is it going to be five, six years? WNBA, CBA, I believe, is seven years, which feels extremely long. Um, but we also kind of have this, you know, to, to kind of bring back this idea of like a motif of this jam packed decade of big soccer events, there's always going to be something coming down the pipeline, um, between world cup, USA hosting the world cup Olympics world cup. (laughs) So those I think are kind of the big issues still needing those final details to click into place but it doesn't feel like it should be impossible now it's just a matter of can you actually it seems like get owners to the table players are showing up we know that yeah first can you imagine like a year two nwsl cba governing year nine nwsl like a seven years you can't no (laughs) (laughs) no i mean you think about what 2014 NWSL was like, yeah, that it is a really, and, and what we have seen, I think, in NWSL is like how exponential that growth is. So I think it really is in the player's best interest to try to keep that CBA as short. Yeah, honestly, maximum three years, if that. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to get that, though. <laughs> right? Um, like, and then the other one, like you mentioned, uh, Claire Watkins over at Just Women's Sports mentioning, you know, what level of willingness is there from the ownership side, the board of governors. And I feel like that's going to tie into some of our overall discussion here with the board of governors. 
But, you know, her article talking about how players don't feel respected by the people on the Board of Governors. Um, Attendance, apparently, has not been great at these meetings with players will get on a call and then on the other side. It's the lawyers. It's the lawyers for the league. And that's about it. Yep. So, you know, as always, personally, I'm always (laughs) pro-labor. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I think I, if people have not discerned that yeah. about the two <laughs> so far, hello. <laughs> right. It's been right. pretty clear. Um, yeah, I just think it, it really is interesting because I know that, you know, Megan Burke has said a lot on record over, you know, this CBA has been a, a process that has now been over a year, right? Like we ha- this has been a long thing and I think what the hope was after 2021 is if a CBA happens and gets negotiated and and everyone benefits, right, there is going to be this win-win. Players are going to feel more bought in. Teams are going to get something out of it. And it is this weird tension of, I thought Claire also made a really great point in that article where she was saying like, it's not that teams, like this concept of wanting players to have more control, like they agree with it in in theory and then when the actual like practicality of these teams that have been carefully built and rosters right like when you actually start thinking about well players might want to go somewhere else if they've been in the league I don't whatever it's going to be five years right and they become free agents and they're able to like actually control their careers for the first time ever there is I think a reward for teams even though, yes, the cost is going to be higher. But I think fundamentally it makes the product better because you're going to land with players who want to actually be there, right? I wonder how much of this is... So whenever we encounter a problem in women's soccer, we start to see it's part of a larger ecosystem of interconnected problems. And I wonder if part of this also related to... It sparked in my brain because you mentioned like carefully constructed roster is... What we've seen is right now, one area where women's soccer, at least NWSL, severely lags behind is scouting and data and technical analysis. And so you maybe have a GM and a coach who can kind of sort of do some scouting for the college draft or whatever. You might be able to sign a couple of internationals where it's either like a no-brainer, like initially when you got like signing Marta or something like that, you know, seven or eight years ago, or someone that you just haven't scouted and you saw a highlight tape and you're like, yeah, she looks good. And then she sits on your bench after playing one and a half games, that sort of thing. But I'm wondering if teams feel a lot more reluctant to deal with a system where players have more rights due in part to like, they don't have the ability to roll with a shifting roster that much yeah and so, I mean like, it is it's gonna take more investment on a yeah. number of, it's not just you have to pay the players more in order to get them to stick around or be wanting to like stay a part of your team but I think you also have to make better investments across the board <laughs> to your point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's about but that's I mean, gonna make the league better they want to play for teams that win that are serious that know what they're doing instead of having a team maybe you might land somewhere where a coach just is like, I don't know, get out there and run. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as once again, it's all like this interconnected ecosystem of underinvestment at every single level that cascades into every other problem. 
Yeah. I mean, to be fair, we have seen some extent of that because I think we've seen, you know, I think about like the Washington spirit in 2016 and that exodus, right? Like we have seen players kind of force their way out, but it's only some of them are able to do it, right? Or, you know, that sort of thing. So it's more everyone would be able to have that power, at least within a certain point of their career in theory. But I also, I mean, the other part about free agency that I think is such a no-brainer for this league is look at how much attention it drives to any league that has free agency. It's going to increase coverage. It's going to increase eyeballs. It's going to increase discussion, no matter what. That is just how this works. And I mean, you look at something like WNBA free agency, right? Like it creates storylines. And I think we have had wild off seasons in the NWL and all that kind of stuff, but actually having an off season that is driven by true free agency, I think is again, only a good thing for this league, but you just have to get there. Brianna Stewart to the New York Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. We won't, we can't get sidetracked into that. That's a whole nother. Um, sorry to Sue Bird. Uh, yeah. I think that also ties into the theme of like the ongoing theme that we've kind of, I know you and I have been chatting about like how sometimes it feels like the league can't get out of its own way where it's like there are certain things where you're like, shouldn't you just do this to like for like it's it it feels like you don't have to take the PRL here. Like Mm -hmm. it was completely avoidable. It wasn't just like a hard topic where you have to accept that some people are going to think of you as a bad guy. It seems sometimes like just not caring or or doing the I don't like it's it's entirely speculative for me because I don't know what's going on inside the league I don't know what Marla Messing or the board of directors thinks every day maybe they actually do really want to be liked but you know when when you mentioned like in Claire's article talking about like the perception and then you know the whole weird we'll get into it but like the kind of messy communication that seemed to be happening around the Washington spirit and the Kong power struggle and the board of governors having to approve things dealing with equity and like the lack of communication from the league about these things. And the latest thing with the Portland thorns having to, and the players, it seems feeling like they had to make their own statement for some reason. It all combines into this like bog of obfuscation that makes you think like, do they like, do they have a sense that if they want to control the narrative, they actually have to exert control? Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that we've been talking about. I feel like there's a half-baked column that's been kicking around in my brain for a month or so that is probably never going to get written. But there is kind of, and I, I think to your point, the spirit and and the Portland news from this week, which we'll, we'll tackle both, but they are kind of part, again, we, we talk about like symptoms of this larger... <laughs> larger problem is that I think credibility is something that is very hard to build. And when you lose it, it costs a lot more, right? And so now it really does feel like every decision, the assumption is bad faith on everyone's part, no matter what it is. And so to your point, whether it's something small, like even I remember reporting about the Sophia Jakobsen news, right, to San Diego Wave. And I had to clarify, like, just a reminder, this this was never declared by the league, but Angel City and San Diego as expansion teams have this kind of like unlimited transfer money right at the moment. 
because their expansion rules are different, their expansion draft was different, right? And everyone kind of was like, well, that that's not fair. That's not fair to Louisville, right? Like, that's not fair to Kansas City. That And again, people are ascribing motive because this was not communicated officially ever. <laughs> yeah. It's an ongoing problem. I feel like I wrote an article in friggin' 2016 or something about how NWSL has an opaqueness problem where the, they just hold on to information so tightly or they don't present it well enough or whatever that they end up creating all these vacuums that fans yep. love to fill with their own ideas. What else are they supposed to do when they, they don't know the information? Of course, they're going to try and like fill in the hole with all their own ideas to build up their own idea. And then by the time they've already created their own narrative, you come along and try to say, oh, no, 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 that's not how it is. Trying to yank somebody else's narrative back onto your tracks is so hard. It's so hard. There's like another podcast here about like how to effectively and nonviolently communicate. <laughs> like the thing about the bad intentions, this is something that I learned when I got together with my wife, which boggled me, but which makes sense, right, is you cannot effectively communicate if you assume th that everything the other person says is, like, improperly motivated. You can't talk to someone assuming that everything that they say is coming from bad intentions. That's not communication. That's judgment. And I'm not saying it's quite the same here because one entity is like a league and yeah. the other is <laughs> yeah. banned. It's not two people in a romantic or even platonic relationship. Um but it does speak to, like, the fans assume everything that NWSL does is nefarious or cack-handed or, you know, just wrong. And NWSL, we don't know what their motives are. It does feel like they kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say don't care. It's not quite don't care, but, like, a d deep and profound misunderstanding. I just think, like, the motivations for both of the, like, if you want to consider this relationship thing, right? You have the league, which is motivated by commercial interests, primarily. And you have fans who are motivated by their love of this thing or the player, right? Like, so you have two very different interests and they're going to put, bring you in different directions. So for really, I mean, any of these things, you have a league. I mean, let's, let's dig into the spirit stuff a little bit because it's kind of... <laughs> the, the long journey of the Washington spirit keeps going, right? But ultimately, you know, one of the things that I kept seeing is like, how is the league allowing Steve Baldwin and Michelle Kong to, to have kind of equal time in these presentations? And it's like, probably because they don't want to get sued by either one of these parties, right? Like that is probably at base level, the simplest motivation you can have of they are both, technically owners at this very moment of a separate LLC entity thing, right? That is part of our overall structure. And thus, they both have to be listened to. But again, we are actively attempting to avoid a lawsuit. And we know that they are not the same, right? Like just objectively. But that doesn't mean that the process is going to allow for that judgment to seep in. But the narrative is, well, how can you let Steve Baldwin speak at the same meeting? Right. There's this thing that's been going on for a while now, and we talked about it from the jump, where as more commercial interests enter the game, we can't talk about NWSL in or women's sports in general in terms of like good and bad. 
in terms of like morality and ethics. I mean, obviously we should talk about ethics. A lack of ethics is kind of what got us to 2021 that we had to report on. You know what I'm saying? But I like, I it's so hard to, (laughs) we, we, we can't be, it's like you said, Universal is a commercial entity. These teams are commercial entities and fans are coming at this, they're, they have an emotional investment, and they want things to be clearly delineate, delineated, like Steve Baldwin bad, Michelle Kong good. When the truth is, let's say Michelle Kong takes over, it's all successful, she's approved, eventually as an owner, she's probably going to do something that you're not going to like. Yep. You know? Yep. She is also a millionaire who <laughs> who works in, like, Washington, D.C. pharmaceutical or, like, healthcare industry, like... You know, at some point, she's going to make some decision that you don't agree with politically or tactically or with the team or hiring or whatever. So this this thing where you they clearly want the league to be like, well, they should just see that Steve Baldwin is bad and Michelle Kong is good. So they should just sign off on everything that Michelle Kong does, because like, what's the holdup here? You know, one's bad and one's good. And it's like you said, probably because they're trying to avoid a lawsuit. The dictates of business and the law mean that sometimes... They're going to do things that suck, but they kind of have to, like, jump through the hoops. Yeah. Yeah. So just in terms of the spirit, I mean, obviously, the the reporting has been ongoing. Um, we're still nowhere near done yet. But just to kind of break down for folks who might have missed the news this weekend. So really, what was funny is when we were doing our reporting earlier this month, right, of Michelle Kong thinks that she has basically majority control of this team or enough votes to get majority control of this team. And part of that includes Devin Talbot uh, selling his share of the team to Michelle Kong, which is super interesting and honestly the part that still boggles my mind the most because Devin Talbot was like Steve Baldwin's dude until he wasn't. And again, like I, I don't watch Succession, but I know everyone comparing this ongoing thing to Succession is very accurate because it is like there's real drama <laughs> to what has been happening. Um, but when I mean, we were reporting that, yeah. Oh, I just think I saw Doug from Rose Room Collective called it top 10 anime betrayals. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> the memes, the memes are flying very quickly here. Yes. I will say, yeah, the, the memes have been like truly extraordinary on the Washington spirit front. They were, I think, very good this month overall. Um, but what we were told earlier this month, right, is, okay, Michelle might think that she has enough control to become majority owner, but in order for this, like, actually officially happen, here's all the things that the league actually has to approve. And then the plot twist here is that all of these 55, since I finally did the math on how many there are, all of these people who bought in as investors, not owners, right, were never technically approved by the league um which is its own mystery that i think is just i that's a whole nother podcast where i just like i'm baffled but anyway um the league had to basically do some retroactive approvals which is exactly what happened this past weekend where we the league said okay not only can all of these investors who basically have like debt notes right like promissory notes within the team can those be converted into equity, but also approvals of that stuff. And then in theory, approvals 
of sale of some of these equity shares now to Michelle Kong, who now the league was very clear of we cannot declare her majority owner, which again makes sense (laughs) because the NWSL is one entity and the Washington Spirit is basically owned by Washington Soccer Properties, right? Which is, again, its own company has to determine its own majority owner. But now the path is cleared for that to happen. Yes. Will that happen? That's the next mystery that we have to live through in theory, right? But is it a done deal? Maybe not. I think, you know, based based on what we've been told, like, it's actually kind of close in terms of what that percentage breakdown might be. But what does it mean for Steve Baldwin sticking around potentially? What does it mean for Bill Lynch sticking around potentially? Like, all of these things we don't don't really know. Like, there's not <laughs> – people feel like it's done. It does not feel done. By any stretch, to me, mm-hmm. it no, until there's an official like Washington Spirit um, media release that is like, <laughs> dear fans, Michelle here, <laughs> you know, I am now legally allowed to say that I own the team XOXO. Yep. You know, it's just I'm I'm not gonna trust it. Yeah. I, I think people are they're caught up in the elation of the momentum swing because I think for a while it did feel very much like the Todd Bowley group was going to happen. And then Michelle's little succession, like, <clears throat> where she, you know, went to Devin was like, hey, you know, <laughs> come here. Have you ever been on a private jet, Devin? <laughs> like, or whatever, you know. Yeah. She, or she probably just went to him as a business person and was like, hey, mathematically, this makes right. most sense. Who do right. you trust with your money? It was yes. a lot of money. I've seen varying figures reported, but I don't think it was like a $50 buy-in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, from what Pablo and I understand, Devin Talbot had about a million bucks in this team. So One it is not- million dollars. <laughs> it's not an insignificant amount of money. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think to your point, the momentum swings have felt way exaggerated, right? Like it, it really does. It, like we have kind of lived through <laughs> a whole bunch, right? Just in terms of like the bully thing, getting, um, bringing in Jennifer Tepper McKenzie, right? To, McKessie? To, McKessie? McKessie? There's no end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Retail executive. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then getting the exclusive bargaining thing, right? And then Michelle Kong swoops in and says, like, well, they're only offering 25. My offer has been in. It's 35, right? Like, this has been a very long journey, but I am, I think to to your point, like, I think it has been a little concerning where, again, the the motivation ascribed to the NWSL where this really... I don't even know how much true control the board of governors really had over this situation, because again, it is its own independent company. And yes, you needed the retroactive approvals. They got them. I do again, think it's very important that it was unanimous and that there was a quote from the board of governors for the first time, actually like with a vote of confidence from Michelle Kong, like that is good. I I wrote on Saturday that this actually does kind of feel like if there was kind of a, a situation with a worst case scenario that was immediately present within this league, this was it. And the league did what we're all vaguely considering to be the right thing, right? That this kind of averted 
some bigger showdown that could have potentially happened between the league, its supporters. It really seemed like that was kind of going to be the next step. And instead, there was a turn back in a direction that I don't know if people expected, honestly. Again, if you want to talk about not a lot of faith in the right decisions <laughs> being made. But now I guess the question is, what, what, how, like... Let's say Michelle Kong is successful. What does she look like on the sport of governors, assuming the Washington spirit ever actually get their seat back? Yeah. I mean, busting your way into a, a space and then I'm sure she's not going to expect to be buddy buddy with everything. But I think she does sound like someone who's used to like taking respect if it's not going to be given to her. Um, what was that quote? It was like, I think from a WNBA coach where it's like, my history is littered with the bones of men oh, that I've was, stepped um, over. Michelle Roberts, who's like the NBA PA yeah. executive director. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I know. What my my, my history is like littered with the <laughs> bodies of men who I've stepped over to get who, or something. I think who didn't respect me or something. Yeah. yeah. It was a very hard quote. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. Um, I'm also reminded of like, uh, it's like um, when it, it, it's a quote around um, some woman who was like, yeah, all, all these people are intimidated, are, are, find me intimidating. And it's like, are you intimidating or are they intimidated? You know, and that's kind of the vibe that is going on here. I I don't know. We We don't even know fully who's on the board of governors. Like that's like somehow top secret information with this league. I... I do think to come back to kind of our overall theme, it's it's something that I think we're going to have to grapple with where the league as a business entity is going to make business decisions. And it's true that you can say that some decisions are right and some decisions are wrong, whether or not they're the correct business ones to make, right? Like uh, there's been many, many, many times in American history where the decision to make $1 million was financially correct, but morally extremely wrong. You know, that's kind of like the foundation of, <laughs> of like capitalism. What does your mom say? What does your mom say about <laughs> ethics and making money? Oh, she was like, <laughs> if it's legal and it's moral, um, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, you added in the little moral. Okay, we can. But yeah, my mom was talking about her, like her grind mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think it is really interesting, though, to put kind of what's happening with the spirit still in the greater context of, of the bigger conversations that we're having with the league, <laughs> just in terms of, you know, thinking about this dueling statement that we got on Monday night from the players of Portland Thorns, and then the NWSL Players Association about the status of certain investigations, which, again, has been kind of this mystery that we don't really know when the investigations are going to be completed, which I think is very normal for investigations. Um, and this is also not to mention even the U.S. soccer funded Sally Yates investigation as well. Um, but the players of Portland put out the statement basically saying there was a review, an, an external review done of the Portland front office, which did not talk to players, was not allowed to. And we feel kind of confident that we've been heard, but we want more progress. Like the statement was 
iffy. <laughs> um, it does include the fact that Gavin Wilkinson is going to continue on with the team. And then the NWSLPA released a statement basically being like, listen, we didn't have anything to do with this investigation and ours is still happening. And I think, again, we're struggling with what the reaction is to a lot of this. And I think it is really interesting because there's a lot of factors here and I don't think we're going to fully manage to hit every single one of them, but it is a very messy, complicated situation, but I also just fundamentally come down to a couple of instant reactions that I had last night and I haven't changed since this morning. One is I don't think the Portland investigation was ever going to be the most important one in this bigger thing because it's not the one with the largest purview by any stretch of the imagination. I think, I mean, I'm glad that it happened. <laughs> um, but also, I think the other part of this is that current players and players who are still within this league are never, I mean, if you kind of think about it as like a scale of, I don't want to use the word radical. I don't think radical is the most right word for this conversation, but current players are not going to push probably quite as hard for reforms as supporters or former players who have been harmed by the league. If that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. The current employees who are, you know, stand to lose the most are probably going to be more cautious than people outside of the system or the situation. Yep. So those were the two kind of immediate. I was honestly taking a nap when <laughs> the Portland players <laughs> statement came in and I woke up to it and I was just like, I don't have enough brain power to process this right at the moment. I'm just going to sit here and let it simmer. And then the PA one came in when I was eating dinner and I was like, all right, well, I mean, honestly, not surprising, right? Because I think it is really important to delineate that there are, again, still multiple investigations ongoing. And it does seem like the Players Association was very clear to not I don't want to say protect players from participating in the Portland one, but I think it also is kind of important to note that players shouldn't have to constantly participate in all of these overlapping investigations. It is a time suck that they didn't sign up for. It's time suck, and in a lot of cases, it's re-traumatizing. Yeah. It's very stressful regardless. Like, I, I don't... In my memory, I don't think I've ever been deposed, but I've done witness prep and it's very stressful. Yeah. So I almost just kind of want to set it aside and be like, the wait is still kind of on to see what's really going to come of this. But I understand the frustrations in Portland about it, but also just looking at kind of what the scope of that investigation was. I don't necessarily find it surprising. I do find it surprising that players were the communication method. Right. I don't know why they felt they had to release a statement. Clearly they did. They felt they did for some reason altogether. I I wonder if it's related, like Kelly Hoobly tweeted, you know, that she felt really upset that fans were canceling tickets and then there was a big backlash against you know, her, that and her 
maybe her feelings. And it's like, I understand that fans are searching for a way to make an impact because we all feel so, we've all felt so helpless in the situation. And we're like, what can we do to help? What can we do to help? And I think the suckiest part is that there's no perfect answer. Yeah. Um, okay, so you cancel your season ticket holder, your 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 season tickets to the Portland Thorns. Um, and what dent is that actually going to make in Merritt Paulson's pocket? I mean, to if if enough of you cancel, like let's say they lost like, you know, fifty percent of their season ticket holders, or or like they lose a a, a couple thousand people from every game. I'm, so, I'm not saying that it's not going to make a, a complete difference, but I think there is something going on here where people are so desperate to find a way to help that they want solutions. And anytime someone says like, well, the solution that you landed on doesn't feel great to me or it's not quite what I want, there's this defensiveness or this feeling of like, well, then what do you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do. And sometimes people don't have the solution and that feels bad too. And so this whole imperfect process has everybody really frustrated and kind of on edge and searching for for the answer that's going to make it all better. And the, ans- the answer is nothing, honestly. Yes, we can work for a better future and the players can unionize. And yes, there are things we can do. But the things that have already happened, like, there's nothing you can do to erase that. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on, this, like, emotional need to balance out the scales somehow i don't know i really don't know yeah. but that it, it feels like part of it is driven by this this sense of helplessness and when you feel helpless it stirs up a lot of other things that you know leads to illogical or or you know frustrated behavior it's all really understandable and human but that doesn't make it feel any less bad yeah on this kind of same note, I want you to kind of lead me through this because I was not on the Zoom when it happened and you just wrote about it, but North Carolina went through its own <laughs> news cycle, right? Again, things keep happening. Um, so if you could maybe first explain what your line of questioning was and and how this all played out, and then we can dig mm-hmm. into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So it all started with uh, the North Carolina Courage announced a new president, Francie Gottsagen. I think that's how it's pronounced. I really, every time I type it, I accidentally type Francie Gagan Press <laughs> because of like the the vaguely Germanic and the like the repeated letters. Anyway, um, very sorry. I'm I've I really make an effort to get that last name right every single time. Literally, I've Googled it every single time that I've had to type it. Um. But yeah, it started with that announcement where Kurt Johnson, the former president, is now transitioning into a different role in the club. They were both on the call and I got on and was like, look, you guys have never really directly answered any questions about the Jalene Daniels resigning. A lot of people have told you that it's really hurtful that you're bringing someone back who's said a lot of really homophobic stuff and has never apologized for any of it. It's all just been like, you know, I love my teammates and they're not defined by their sexuality and I've never cheated anybody based and it's like... And at the same time, you've, like, kind of, like, publicly condemned gay rights, you know, and refused to wear pride numbers, that sort of thing. So, you know, fans have have kind of vocally been like, why are you doing this? We understand that she's a talented fullback, but we don't care about that. 
And I think the attitude kind of for a lot of people is like, I don't care if she helps us win games. She hurts people with or like her actions have hurt people. And we would rather not have her as a fullback than have this harm happening to us and other members of our community. And the club is just kind of like not. I asked them a lot about that, the harm aspect. They even released a statement that was like, here's what we're going to do to mitigate the harm. We've heard you. And so I went on and was like, it was like the Regina George meme. Like, so you agree it's harm. (laughs) And you can read the full transcript. I posted the full Q and a on my Twitter, but at first there was like, you know, I got Sagan saying, well, I don't think it has caused harm. And me being, were you not briefed? on your first day mm-hmm. of work, like before you got onto a very public media call. Um, and if you were, then, and then, you know, a lot of other follow-up questions that included uh, the phrase, we are listening and learning among the answers. And so then North Carolina contacted me and said, can we have a, a follow-up to expand on? I like, and I understand, maybe they they should have been expecting these questions. I don't see how they weren't. But maybe you're not prepared for that on on day one and you have a little bit of time to think. And so a couple hours later, you know, we hop on a one-on-one call and again, kind of the same answers. I I sent them the questions for Kurt Johnson as well, because I do want to point out these were decisions made before God Sagan was hired. Right. So I wanted to make sure that the person who made the decisions got asked the questions as well. And then Kurt Johnson came out with this statement that read off as very naive to me, where he's like, you know, we we've talked about we've talked to Jalen Daniels about her what we expect of her, and as long as she's not creating a toxic environment, then it's fine. You know what it really reminds me of is um, the day before the Paul Riley story dropped, the statement that North Carolina provided to to us for the story, which was basically like, well, if anything's happening, players can report it, right? Mm-hmm. There's just not really the sense of should we be proactive about a situation that is potentially causing harm. But again, I mean, I feel like here's here's the same sort of situation, right, as in Portland too. Are we helping by assuming that we know how the players are feeling about this? Or even not even assuming that we know, right, that assuming that there is some sort of harm or something going on or that they don't have agency in this decision making right at the moment. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I've been struggling with of like, I can look at this situation and say, okay, if I'm personally in a room with Jalen Daniels and we, I have to do my job with her, am I able to do it while feeling comfortable or whatever? Right. That's my own decision. Do I get to then kind of assume that on anyone else's behalf. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I specifically wanted to talk about the actual fan reaction that I've seen. I don't know how the yep. players feel. You know, players are not like us, okay? They have elite athlete brain. And I actually think that some of them probably do think that the increased chance of winning with a talented player, as long as he's not going in there and, you know, calling people the F slur or something like that, and they're like, okay, yeah, we can get along. We don't have to like each other. We're coworkers. If we're winning and she's not, you know, actively being a dip in the locker room, then fine. What's the big deal? 
at least to me personally. So I have no clue if any of the players feel that way or if they're secretly seething with resentment and, and anger or anything in between. So yeah, I, I did want to focus on the actual reactions that I saw, which was if you do a quick scan on Twitter, it's like a yeah. lot of hurt, anger, f- actual fear. I did talk to Ebony Christmas, who I think if you're around any kind of North Carolina space <laughs> for a hot second, men or women, yep. you'll be like, yep. oh, or your national team. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Or you're like, Ebony knows what's up. Yep. And I wanted to talk to her, and she was like, I told Steve Malik to his face, I don't feel safe anymore at games because of the, the type of people who might sympathize with yep. her point of view. Maybe they'll have to be there in that space as well. And as much as, you know, you want to think that you're safe, I think that's a, a, a real fear. Well, and also the fact that, I mean, and this is going back, right? And again, not the new president's fault by any stretch of the imagination, but the fact that the team made the poor decision to allow the 700 club to film within their facility, right? Like there is historical stuff here that then says, are you, what are you extending an invitation to? And to bring it back into our larger theme of these commercial interests versus a community interest. Right. Yeah. What are you signaling as the standard that you're willing to accept? And I, I, it's up to the fans now. And I think I'll, there was, again, more response. Now, I don't want to say, like, majority or a lot because social media is not, you know, an accurate sample of, of the entire fandom. But, you know, there was some reaction of people being like, I'm glad I decided not to renew. Or, like, these answers are really unsatisfactory or blah, blah, blah. And I agree. They are unsatisfactory <laughs> answers. They're... As I said, I think her Johnson's answer was naive at best to be like, well, she's not creating a toxic environment. And I'm like, that's a very privileged thing to get to say, that inviting somebody into your space who has previously said really unkind, like cruel, bigoted things about people in that space, like they're that, oh, just because she's not actively, you know, crusading against the gays or using slurs, that she's not being toxic. That's such a privileged mindset to get to have, whether it's about sexuality, gender, race, anything like that. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have – see, this is another thing, though. I, I don't have a lot of faith, but then can I say, like, I tried to communicate because <laughs> I just didn't trust then their ability to, like – approach this with like good intention or even neutral intention although once we're not supposed we're not we're not people in a relationship i'm a journalist who is asking a team question so it's fine it's fine <laughs> it's fine yeah i mean i think you know all of these things it's we've hit so much in this discussion and i feel like it is so weird how so much of this comes back to kind of the same fundamental stuff no matter what the specifics are right and i do sort of wonder if anyone else is thinking about like what are the foundational things that would maybe at least address some of the existential (laughs) angst that people are going through right Mm -hmm. and one of i had a conversation with someone on the phone like a week ago and we were talking and we had kind of gotten ourselves into like a little bit of a spiral and 
you know, I, I found myself wondering because I think we've had so many conversations over the past couple of years, right, about kind of this from a commercial standpoint alone, NWSL kind of thinking, okay, do we want to be like the NFL, right? Do we want to try to follow in those footsteps or do we want to try to follow in the WNBA's footsteps? And it's very clear as to like the NWSL folks are are very much in the NFL space and the fandom is very much in the WNBA space, but it has kind of felt over the past few months, honestly, and I think especially over the past couple of weeks, right? And maybe the spirit situation taking this turn has maybe gotten me off of my almost like worst case scenario thinking, but there has been kind of this sense where NWSL as an institution would almost kind of prefer to like shed some of the most vocal fans because they can bring it. And I don't think this is even just an NWSL problem. I think we were seeing it in MLS too, to a certain extent. Like I think about even DC United and the way that they've approached that fan base. And I only follow that from a very like high level perspective, but I think what we're seeing in sports is when fans have like troublesome opinions, it's easier to just kind of be like, well, we're just going to wash our hands of them and go in search of easier money rather than actually try to come to the table and have this conversation and figure out like, because sometimes I don't know if there is a satisfactory resolution for either side. It's not just sports. It's any business. Yeah. When you have a customer segment that becomes like kind of not worth the cost in your mind, it's always easier to be like, well, let's expand out in this other direction and we'll find new customers. Like the money's the same. And the value in our old customers was when they were loyal and they were willing to bring us repeat business and help us spread the word to other fans. And if they're not going to do either of those things, well, they're of no use to us anymore as customers. So we need to go find new customers. And that it that feels bad because this is an, an entire another podcast because people do form these kind of it's not quite parasocial but they form these relationships with teams right which is part which ties into the whole morality thing where they want teams to be good or bad right they don't want to be like oh this is like an amorphous entity that <laughs> like has no inherent morality and i ascribe morality to it you know that's, that sort of thing and so you get attached to it because you're emotionally attached to it you want to believe the thing that you're attached to is good and then when it isn't good it creates this like kind of tailspin of like oh my god am i bad like are we the baddies you know (laughs) do i like a thing that's bad does that mean that i'm a bad person or i have bad taste and then you kind of like have to go through this rigmarole where you have to readjust either your worldview or like say that i'm fine it's the world has to change that sort of thing it it just kind of creates this shockwave where you kind of have to readjust how you view things and i think that is part of what is happening here yeah I personally think that's a perfect place to end because I think nailed it. Are we the baddies? Are we the baddies? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Kavitha Davidson and and Jessica Luther (laughs) wrote basically an entire book about how to interact with sports when we don't always feel comfortable with them. So honestly, the answer is detachment. You're let, let go, let go of desire. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's yet another podcast but you gotta let go of desire and accept you the sound world like, as it uh, is it, you watched life i think we've talked about this yeah charlie cruz yeah charlie cruz 
Some real maybe, Zen stuff from Charlie Maybe Cruz. a whole nother podcast just of like <laughs> old TV shows gone before their time. We can talk about life. We can talk about happy endings, all that good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome to 2022 with Mike and Steph on full time and have a good show for you next week. So we're back. All right. Thank you to Steph. Please congratulate her on the house because she is a real grown up. All right. One more thing now. Obviously, as we just discussed, a, a ton of shit has happened over the past month and a half or so. But I did want to reiterate, as I said, I said this on Twitter back when this actually happened, but The Athletic being acquired by The New York Times, ultimately, it is a very good thing. It won't change a bit about our coverage here on women's soccer. Now, hopefully we get a few more resources, maybe some nice visual illustrations for data and that sort of thing. But I've been so encouraged by every meeting that we've had about this. And our mission is exactly the same to bring you excellent in-depth reporting and features on women's soccer. All right, for all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all of the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more info about the show. If you'd like to describe, subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage, right now you can do that at theathletic.com slash full-time. My name is Meg. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full-time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening. We'll be back with you next week. <laughs>